Welcome to Enriched Menopause, where perimenopausal and menopausal women can learn what's going on with their bodies and how to thrive during this stage and beyond. You are not crazy and you are not alone. I'm Dr. Jessica Rich. Let's do this together. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Enriched Menopause. Today, we're going to talk about something that many people may find embarrassing, but is a lot more common than you may think. Do you ever hear a really good joke and then panic a little because you're worried that you might not be able to hold your urine when you start laughing? Or maybe you tried to go on a trampoline with your kids like me at a birthday party or just taking them to a gym and you realized that maybe you were going to leak a little urine when you were on the trampoline or even trying to jump rope at the gym. Or maybe you pull into your driveway or put your hand on the doorknob um, to your house and suddenly feel that urge that you just can't hold it anymore and you're racing to the bathroom. All of these things are very common. Urinary incontinence can happen at any age, but it's definitely something that worsens in perimenopause and postmenopause. Changes in weight, changes in estrogen, changes after childbirth and other medications or medical issues can all contribute to urinary incontinence. There are two main types that we typically think about that are the most common, and that would be stress urinary incontinence and urge incontinence. Some women can have a mix of both types, and of course there are some other types of incontinence, but these are typically related to medical conditions and a little bit more complex. So for simplicity's sake, I'm going to focus today on the two main types, that stress and urge incontinence. Now, the first thing I want to say is that if incontinence is not bothering you, then you don't have to do anything about it. If it's just like a little leakage when you get sick and you're coughing a lot and it's a small amount and you can tolerate it, then that's okay. It's really a matter of your quality of life and what's bothering you. So if it is bothering you, you don't have to suffer. We're going to talk about what each of those types of incontinence are and what are some options for treatment. So first off, there's stress urinary incontinence. This is that leakage that you have when you're laughing at that good joke or jump roping at the gym or doing other exercise or when you cough or when you sneeze. Sometimes it can get more severe so that it's even just with walking or lighter activities. This typically occurs either because of what we call hypermobility in the urethra, which means that that tube that you pee out of moves a lot with those different stressors and this can happen with childbirth and other factors or sometimes because the urethra is fixed and weak. Typically, with stress urinary incontinence, we want to kind of bolster up that urethra to get better control. Now, with urge incontinence, that's the one where you're either pulling into your driveway or putting your hand on the doorknob and suddenly you feel that urge or maybe you don't really feel like you have to go to the bathroom but once you feel the sensation, you've got to get there right away and sometimes 
sometimes you're not making it in time. Now, many women can have what we call mixed urinary incontinence, which means that they may have that stress component and the urge component. Now, there are a couple of treatments that can help both types of incontinence. So if you're having the mixed issue or even if you just have one or the other, there are a few things that you can do to help reduce that leakage. One of them is treating that genitourinary syndrome of menopause that we talked about last week, which is basically the lack of estrogen that happens to all women as they get into perimenopause and then postmenopause. Much of the time, milder incontinence symptoms are really coming from that lack of estrogen. And if we treat that either by adding back some estrogen locally in the vagina or with the lasers and moisturizers and other treatments that we talked about, then that's going to make a big difference in the urinary symptoms as well. Another thing is to strengthen the pelvic floor. So the pelvic floor, the muscles that sort of wrap around the bladder and the vagina and the rectum and around the urethra. And that can be strengthened sometimes by those Kegel exercises that you've heard about where you're kind of pulling everything in and and strengthening those on your own. But oftentimes with pelvic floor physical therapy, where you work one-on-one with a specially trained therapist who can teach you how to strengthen those muscles a little bit beyond what the Kegels do, and also can use some stimulation to the nerves around the bladder to help with a lot of that urgency as well. Next week, we're going to speak with the pelvic floor physical therapist who's going to go into a little bit more detail about what that means, both for incontinence and for other issues as well. Now, sometimes it may be a matter of changing your bladder habits a little bit. So sometimes this may be not waiting too long to go to the bathroom. So if you're one of those people who've always just held your bladder all day till the last minute, that might not be something that's really possible for you anymore. You may have to kind of time your bladder emptying a little bit more. Sometimes even starting with just going like every hour on the hour and then as you get better with it, spacing that out so that you can eventually get to going like three to four hours without emptying your bladder. It's also important to avoid bladder irritants. So this would be things like caffeine and carbonation, sometimes citrus and tomatoes or certain foods that can irritate the bladder. Generally, we think of a low oxalate diet as helping to avoid some of those bladder irritants and that can be very helpful as well. Definitely avoiding some of the toxic habits like alcohol and smoking can make a difference in your bladder as well. And then weight makes a big difference. So as you put on more weight, that puts more pressure on your bladder and more pressure on the urethra when it's trying to hold in your urine. So as with many other conditions, weight loss can be really helpful to the bladder as well. Now, obviously, all of these modifications take some time to work, and they are very effective for a lot of women. For many women, all of this is enough, but for some, it's not going to be enough, or for some, they want to do something that's a little bit more aggressive or a little bit more fast-acting. And for that, we really want to determine which is the more dominant component. Is it more the stress urinary incontinence, or is it more the urge incontinence? And to do that, we use a test called Eurodynamics studies. Basically, what this is, is it's a test where you would go into the office. Of course, we do it here in our office, but another urology or urogynecology or sometimes just a regular gynecology office. You go in and you do a test where they fill your bladder with fluid and put some sensors on to measure the pressures in the bladder and in the abdomen. And they have you cough and sneeze and laugh and pee and measure all of those pressures and determine what's the cause 
cause of your urinary incontinence or what's the more predominant cause to help direct treatment. In addition to the urodynamic studies, it's important to have a good pelvic exam to evaluate those muscles of the pelvic floor to see if there's any prolapse where the organs may be pushing down somewhat, to look for that lack of estrogen in the tissue, and to look at any other factors that may be contributing to the incontinence. Also looking at your medical history and your medications, particularly if you're taking certain blood pressure medications or diabetes medications that can really contribute to these issues as well. Once the evaluation has been done, if it's been determined that you mostly have that stress urinary incontinence, then of course there is the option of strengthening the pelvic floor like we talked about with pelvic floor therapy. There are some medications that can be helpful like imipramine, but more often the stress urinary incontinence is treated with procedures, particularly urethral bulking or a sling procedure. With urethral bulking, what we do is go in with a small camera through the urethra and then a small needle that injects a substance, and there are a couple of different ones out there, but basically injects a substance around the opening of the urethra on the inside. That substance kind of makes these little almost like pillows to narrow the urethra and prevent a lot of that leakage. It's a great option for a lot of women because it's something that requires very little downtime. It's usually either done in the office with just some local anesthesia or in a surgery center with a light general anesthesia. And typically the procedure is pretty quick. It takes less than a half an hour and it starts working pretty quickly as well. Now the downside to this is it's not a permanent solution. It typically lasts about a year, give or take. Everybody's a little bit different, but it's a great option and it's something that can be repeated and doesn't require a lot of downtime and not a whole lot of risk. The main risks associated with urethral bulking are things like urinary retention. So of course what we're trying to do is stop that over leakage of the bladder, but occasionally it can kind of go into the opposite direction. So there can be difficulty emptying your bladder after urethral bulking. Generally, if that's the case, we put a catheter in temporarily to help kind of get over that and usually it's resolved pretty quickly. Of course, like any other procedure, there can be risks of infection and bleeding and pain, but those risks are pretty minimal with this procedure. The more long-term procedure is something called a sling, and this can be done in a couple of different ways, but basically the idea is putting a mesh under the urethra, kind of sits like a hammock and sort of pulls up or changes that angle of the urethra. The idea being that it's going to scar into place and then your own tissue is what is going to hold the urethra into place and keep it working and functioning so that you're not having that stress urinary incontinence. And again, this is done in slightly different ways. There are different types of slings out there, but in general, it's made through a vaginal incision, kind of dissecting around the urethra and then putting in that mesh either so that it's coming out around the pubic symphysis, so just on the lower belly or more towards the sides in the groin. Occasionally, there are certain types that just sit there and don't come out through the skin at all, but there are different types and it's important to talk with your surgeon about which type might be best for you. Those types 
prototypes are then all um, covered so that none of that mesh sticks out. And over time, as your body scars around the mesh, you get more and more improvements in the leakage. Now, the slings are very effective and typically last up to 20 years or so, but they do have a little bit more risk and recovery time than that urethral bulking procedure. Typically, this would have to be done in the operating room with general anesthesia. It's still a pretty quick procedure. It takes less than an hour, but there can be a little bit more pain, a little bit more bleeding, a little bit more risk of bruising. There can be risk of damage to the urethra and to the bladder, although that risk is quite low. There can be that risk of urinary retention that we talked about with the bulking, and again, that would typically be resolved with a catheter, but in some cases can require a repeat surgery to go back in and cut the mesh. And there can be pain and scar tissue that can happen with the mesh, or the mesh can erode back through the vagina or into the bladder. In general, those risks are low, about 5%. Most people do very well with this type of procedure and without complications, but there is a little bit more risk involved. Because it's important for that mesh to scar into the right place, the restrictions after this is a little bit more strict. So no heavy lifting, nothing more than about 5 pounds, and no significant pushing pulling, anything that's going to put too much strain in that area and cause the mesh to shift. All of that should be avoided for about six weeks after the procedure. However, it is an outpatient procedure. You go home the same day just with those restrictions on movement and of course nothing in the vagina while that's healing. Again, it's a different procedure and is very effective but with a little bit more risk and a little bit more recovery time than your urethral bulking. For the urge incontinence, the treatment of approach is a little bit different. Sometimes the urge incontinence is improved with the sling and with the bulking procedure. So if somebody has mixed urinary incontinence, that may be a way to go. But sometimes that urge incontinence can actually be worsened by those procedures. And we go through that in a little bit of a different way. If somebody just has urge incontinence or if that's their predominant thing, then we typically look more at either medications or really stimulating the nerves and the muscles around the bladder. Many of the medications that we look at are called overactive bladder medications, and there are two different categories to this. There are the anticholinergic medications, which have been around for quite some time, and these are medications that tend to have kind of like an overall drying effect. So while they help to control the bladder better, they can also give kind of dry side effects. So that can be things like dry mouth, dry eyes, sometimes constipation, so that's something you may want to look out for. And in the long term can have some risks of potential increased risk of dementia. So it's not something that you necessarily want to have to be on for years and years and years. There are some newer alpha adrenergic medications that don't tend to have those same side effects. They can cause some elevations in blood pressure. So not always the best medication for somebody who has high blood pressure. And then it's really just a matter of also making sure that you have coverage from your insurance company because newer medications tend to have a little bit higher cost there. If the medications either aren't working or if the side effects are too much, then we do look at stimulating the nerves a little bit more directly. Sometimes this can be done with the pelvic floor physical therapy that we talked about with the machines that help to stimulate the nerves around the bladder. Sometimes this is done with something called a tibial nerve stimulator, which basically starts with stimulating the nerve in the leg that then connects 
connects with those nerves around the bladder. And that can be done in several sessions, usually in the office setting. And sometimes there can even be an implantable device to stimulate the nerves. So typically, this would be something that is put around the nerves going through the back or the lower sacrum and spine. And with connection to a battery that kind of sits in the buttocks and over time, you can control or change the levels of current to stimulate the nerves and get better bladder control. Another option that works very well for women with urge incontinence is Botox injections into the bladder. This is typically done with putting a small camera into the bladder with some fluid and then with a small needle at the end of the camera, injecting Botox directly into the bladder wall. Now, Botox is an antispasmodic agent, so basically it helps for the overactivity of the muscles in the bladder wall, and this works very well for a lot of women with urge incontinence. It's not typically a cure, but it's something that is long-term, usually lasting anywhere from 6 to 12 months, and it's something that can be repeated over time. So these are some of the standard approaches that we look at when we're looking at urinary incontinence. Of course, you'll have to speak with your doctor about the specific nuances of what you're experiencing and what might be the best treatment option for you. As we talked about, this is not life or death situation. You don't have to do anything about this problem, but it's really something to help improve your quality of life. So what treatment you choose really depends on what fits to your comfort level and your lifestyle. I hope this has been helpful. If you're suffering from urinary incontinence, and of course, if you're in the South Florida area, you can see us at the Florida Center for Urogynecology. But otherwise, contact a urogynecologist and have an evaluation to see what can be done for your problems. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share with someone in your life who may benefit from this too. Remember that while I am a doctor, this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Talk with your doctor about what may apply to you and your health. We'll see you on the next episode of Enrich Menopause.